of all the shows this season, it's been quite a, a rich yeah. and varied yeah. season, but of all the shows this season, uh, the Simon Bocanegra is the yeah. one that I personally yeah. have been looking forward to the yeah. most. Not just because I love the opera, yeah. but because I saw... Did you happen to see um, Dmitry Tchernikov's Eugene Onegin? I saw small portions of it on DVD. I never saw it live. People who'd seen it here. I remember yeah. Ian Rutherford here had seen it and Philip had seen it. And a few, I think John Barry had seen it. And they all said, look, this is just incredible stuff. Yeah. And since then, people like it, but even I came to the premiere of Faust and I met some director, Stanley Blamont, and uh, she said, Is he the one that did the. Yes, you see, this is. Oh, I'm coming then. It's funny because I went in, it was during that little Bolshoi season, and I just thought this is going to be another archaic Bolshoi. Yes. You know, Yes. Um, And it is one of the best things I've ever seen in the opera theatre. And um, astonishingly, um, technically, so extraordinary anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really curious to yeah. know how the... I mean, how is this man? What's happening so far on Bocanegra? One thing to say that, that's remarkable, really, and it you, you'll never meet the person I'm about to talk about now yeah. related to Dmitri, is that Dmitri insists on speaking in Russian. For the I've heard this. This is why, you know, we, we wanted to chat with him. Yeah. But, because uh, even though Dmitri speaks English actually quite well, but he likes it halts the creative process for him, which I understand. But so rehearsals are different and quite stretched because of the process that he has to say something and then Martin has to say it. But the great thing about Martin is he's probably the best interpreter I think I've ever met or seen. Because what's extraordinary about Martin is incredibly quick, but he talks like that. He's from Croydon. Actually, he lives in Marbella, but his mum lives with his mum in Croydon at the moment. And he talks like that. And he's a little bloke. And he looks just like a cabbie. So, and, but he's so fast. Uh, Dmitri will say, you know, because you're speaking Russian. And all of a sudden, Martin will say, so, you come in here, and what you think is that she, and, he, and it's like, this is incredible. I only wish that people could come in and see what happens in the rehearsals? This should be it's part never of the production. Been... This should be the prologue. Oh, <laughs> it's extraordinary. <laughs> the, the process—it's because to see Martin at work is a joy. And but the two of them together—it's fantastic. So let's let's. Uh, I must. Uh, so all the nuances in there. Yeah, Martin knows it. For example, he said the other day he said something in Russian. Martin says, "So what he thinks is that this is a load of tosh." <laughs> I said, "Is there a t- is there tosh in Russian?" He said, "Yes, it's bread tosh." Okay, so fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Is he a very intense man? Is he a very practical man? Is he a very... He's probably the most exacting director I've ever worked with. But you see, that's what was so wonderful in, yeah. in the Onegin. The detail of yeah. every person on that yeah. stage and the thought process yeah. was quite extraordinary. I mean, I'm thinking of great directors, great opera directors, uh, I think about Richard Jones or David Vicker, their preparation is incredible. They know every note of the score. They know all the colours in the score. They know the instruments that play this bit. They know the H-bar. You, you can say, and they would admit, they would, oh, I'm a control freak. In one sense, you, I know why they're saying that. It's because they know precisely what they want to see and they know what they want you to do. And there's not a lot of room, as much room as there are for, with other directors, for your own 
edge. But what they will do is allow you to find it for yourself. But the blueprint is definitely there. Uh, as in a position to something like Deborah Warner, who's also a great director, Deborah is the opposite. She will sit in her chair and she'll say, go. And then you mould what you do from that. You develop yes. a, a scene. Yeah. These guys know the scene in advance. And then the process, both, both of these are very demanding. And I think that's what makes it good productions is the fact that the artists have to find something else. Standard opera acting is not going to wash with these guys. They want something that comes from here. With like Deborah, you find that torturous process from day one in a different way. The other guys give you a blueprint and then you have to find your own way of doing that. But you always end up with a great result that is real. And that is, um, and but Dimitri has taken that to a different level of intensity of working. Absolute silence in the room, total silence from anybody anywhere in the room. He can't bear whispered conversation. Even. But he is so focused and so intense that you can you have to you're, well you look forward to your breaks. He describes everything in minute detail. So if you turn up thinking, gosh, what's this scene about? You don't need to worry with Dimitri because he will explain it. And his thought process and what goes on here is fantastic. And you express all this very well mm. um, because it's 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 interesting hearing um, singer actors talk about what they do on yeah. stage um, and how different directors work. But yep. uh, you express it very well. This is possibly it's certainly one of my top four Verdi operas. Yeah. It's a great role for you, oh, yeah. Fiesco. Without giving everything away, yep. people are intrigued to know mm. what line he's taking. Are we talking in period? Are we talking... What are we talking here? We are doing the time gap, as it's... Yeah. So, but it's... I would say it's more stretched. Long as it, it specifies 25 years, I would say... It, we, I think we all agree that really much it's not. It's more than that. Uh, although it's, it's not in period. It's not in the, in the 1800s. It's later than that. Can I even say what period it's yes. in? That's fine. Where we begin in the mid-60s. Okay. Uh, the prologue is in the mid-60s, so we are in um, trilbies and overcoats. You have to give too much back to the set. Some lovely surprises in the set. Um, and then we jump pretty much, I think, to present day. Four acts, one, two, and three. Even if we may start a little bit earlier in act one, but certainly by act three, we are up to date. Because it's a very contemporary... Opera oh, in that yeah. sense, isn't yeah. it? I mean, the the ideas behind it, and yes. the, the 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 jealousies, and the um, and the, the the revenge aspects of it are yeah. all something we can recognise. Absolutely, and I I think the piece to me is one of those pieces that it's great because it's not in your face, Verdi. It's not Rumpty Tum. It's not that's that's demeaning to the other repertoire. It's not, but it's not so obvious. It's not. Oh wow, I love this tune. Yeah. It's not, you have to dig a little bit deeper. It's quite dark. It's very dark. I love the fact that it's not until we had the first six program Monday and the second one on Tuesday, and of course then you suddenly, the whole thing comes to life. It was absolutely thrilling. And it, it, it's an opera I've seen probably four times. And each time I've done it, it's going to be, now I absolutely adore it. Probably even more, and I dare say, than something more like Don Carlos. Uh, Don Carlos is always thrilling, but this one is a discovery for me. Also the role, I mean, obviously... I don't think there's a base in the world who doesn't want to see yeah. a fiasco. What, al- what always staggers me about it yeah. is that the transformation of the piece from the earlier version, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. you know, a great composer yeah. finding, well, that scene could actually transform the piece, the council chamber scene. 
so called. And of course, he composes some blinding music in that scene. Yeah. But all the other changes he made too yeah. just transform it. It's yeah, a different work. Oh, completely. What What is the crux for you and in this production emotionally of of, of what Chernikov is doing? I am more aware, funny enough, in this production. It sounds crazy to say this, but Bocanegra is the title role. But I'm much more aware of Bocanegra's journey in this than I have been in previous productions. Uh, before. I've always, obviously as a base, you, you watch the fiasco, which is incredible, and the, the, the range of emotions he goes through and everything, the transformation him. But in this one, it's very much about Bocanegra. That's really, it's really hit me this time that I'm discovering things about the role of Bocanegra, even though I'm not doing it, that I haven't seen before. But you've <laughs> said seen. an interesting word there, journeys. It journeys, Because yeah. it is, that the whole time yeah. period, the, the, the time change thing in it. Yeah. It's a bit like Winter's Tale. Amazing things happen in yeah. a 25-year or more span. But that's what's so amazing about this piece. He's hit upon the actual crux of it. Absolutely, right? yeah. Um, oh, it's, no. it's another world afterwards. It definitely is. Yeah. I'm intrigued. How uh, You obviously love the rehearsal process, Brimley. Oh, I love you it. You obviously love being a part of discovery. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And is that is that almost more exciting to you than, than actually performing no, not quite, but it, it's pretty close. I love the fact that you have this, it's discovering things. And uh, for me, for example, like this role is the first time I've done it. So there's lots of roles I'm doing now that are for the first time. This last season was full of roles which are all new. I love that process of building something and discovering about it. Performing is great, particularly the lead up to the, you know, the first few shows when you're just saying, is this going to work? How is this going to come across? And I just love, I do love being, I love performing. Uh, which is just as well. D- developing the character and the acting side of it. I, I used to be the other way around. I was, used to be terrified of acting and thought, wow, I love this music and I'd love to try to get to sing it. Mm-hmm. Now I've slightly shifted in the fact that I really enjoy the acting process and the experimentation and working with this and trying with that. I find that much more exciting now. And it's so great to see opera singers, um, yeah. you know, finding their yeah. roles in a different way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it yeah. when I was growing up, it, mm. it really was. There were five gestures, yeah, yeah. <laughs> precious yeah. little movements. Well, that's where uh, Dimitri, of course, I, I think you'll discover with this production, he breaks probably every convention in terms of opera acting. What he demands of the singers is on the edge, I would say, in terms of where you're standing on the stage... What your posture is at that point. I'm slumped down for the end section of the aria. Uh, I'm pretty lying down at the end, slumped so on my side with my head to one side, which is probably a position that some singers would probably never do. Uh, and a lot of compromise. I know that Reina is singing, I think at one point she's supposed to be in a fetal position singing I see. So, I mean, I think they may have compromised on that somewhat. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, he's, very, he's a very skilled director in terms of what will carry and what will not. But he will try as, as he can to get, as part as he can, to get give you the colour of what this should be. And then you have to make that work for yourself. Okay? And if you start at the farthest out point, yeah, then you can always absolutely. pull it back. I love that. Exaggerate to make the point, and then we'll make it work musically. And then we'll see if it can be heard, and then when the orchestra and that kind of stuff. And the whole role, I sing straight out front once. Uh, and that's in a quiet bit. 
it's not, you know, so the whole business, I mean, I've just been doing Aida Covent Garden and that was a case of really coming down to the front and curling your toes over the pit. Uh, and I've done several venue productions there where it's been the same. Uh, but uh, this, he will not allow that. The action is very much across and into, you're always connected to somebody. You're always looking at somebody, you're always connecting with that somebody. fainting outwards all the yeah. time, which you always used to get. Um, yeah. I mean, further back, I, mean, yeah. one, I can remember the days where the, the prima would simply come centre stage yeah. for all her solo numbers. And yeah. you, you mentioned the, the, the Aida. Mm. Um, I just saw um, the Macbeth, which contains the same soprano. Um, sensational voice. Oh, yeah. Um, but clearly... Yeah. Um, you know, has been schooled yeah. in a certain way, yeah. and it's going to be very, very hard to Correct. shift her from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is what's changing in opera, yeah. I think. And, yeah. and it, but it's a slow process in some cases. Oh gosh, it is, and it's at different levels. And in one sense, I mean, I I came to this relatively late in my life. Yeah, let's let's touch on that a yeah. bit because you know you're from Lancashire and yeah. um, where kind of everybody sang when I was growing up in Lancashire. Yeah. Uh, not not Lancashire, you're. From Manchester, Manchester yeah. Um, but um, the North, the everybody North, yeah. sang. Yeah. Um, but singing was your second study. It yeah, was. You were yeah. a trumpet player. I was. Yeah, my first study was a trumpet player. My parents sang. I was raised in the Salvation Army. You did music from as soon as you could sit up. So we were all raised in this. You were music making every week. It was the best free musical education that anybody could possibly have because you were performing and playing and singing and doing the sight reading three times a Sunday, you know, and rehearsals twice in a week. So, I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. And when I was doing my A-levels uh, up in Salford University, uh, music department, uh, they were trying to prepare us for auditions and everything, and this chap to me said, so, well, you know, you have to have two things. And I said, well, I've got grade three piano. He said, well, you know, when I played him a piece, he said, mm. he said, well, <laughs> can you sing? And I said, well, yeah, a bit, you know. So I sang, I think I, I sang just a few. He said, well, it's better than your piano. So just learn a song. So I learned a song. I think I think I did Mona's Rastro's Arias, which is a bit adventurous, really, because it was too low in those days. Yes. When, when you're 18. Yes. Um, I think I just about had a bottom F. So I went along and I played, you know, and I got into the academy as a trumpet player. And I sang my little piece. And then I did second study singing, which meant I had half an hour singing lesson each week. But the, the turning point was, well, there were two things. One was an auditions they were holding for the end of year choral concert. Uh, which is a Vorjak style of martyr, right? And uh, I said, my teacher said, look, we need to get him some auditions. It's a very good experience for him. He won't stand an earthly. Because the first study singers are all doing it. You know, and I was a first-year student. I was 19, 18, 19. And these people were 22 and about to leave, and they were big stars. And... Was the voice developed at all? Um, yeah, I had a reasonably even bass voice, I would say, that... Uh, uh, you know, it was a very pleasant voice. I mean, I've actually heard my recording of this concert. I thought, it's not bad, actually. Well, I got the job, which was didn't go down particularly well with the other singers. Uh, and then there was an opera prize, uh, which was open to the whole college again. Mm-hmm. And again, I went, I learned Fiesco Doria for it at the age of 20. You would have thought. I sang this, and um, well, I won it. And again, so that made me think, oh, Lord, perhaps I'm all right, perhaps I'm good. Or, you know, I, and then I started to get little parts in the opera. I did Seneca in uh, Cornish Lopea, and I did, I think, in Superintendent Bird in Albert Herring. But um, I was still then. I but then I think I stopped dropped the trumpet about then. And were you identified at that point as being a proper bass, 
or was there a question mark about there are some people say maybe they married time yeah. and you know it's very difficult it, it wasn't obvious I, I then very much disappeared from the opera scene altogether I didn't want to do opera I thought I, I, I got married and um, I got a job singing in the choir at Windsor Castle in St George's Windsor as a lay clerk I was there for three years that was vocally a little bit challenging for my kind of voice because my voice was quite strong in those days you know still strong but it was not partic- particularly for a choral scholar it was hindrance and an asset. Uh, and then I joined the BBC Singers uh, along with Sarah Connolly. We were both at the same time. Very challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeremy White, we were the three of us were there together. And and uh, that was a lot of fun, actually. For a long time, it was a lot of fun. You know, like like all the voice denominations, there are many fachs, yeah. many different kinds yeah. of bass. Yeah. Um, where would you place yourself? I think prior, I am what I would say, I mean, I need to get the correct terminology here, but I am, I like joined up writing. Uh, I am not totally happy with anything that's more towards the buffle, huff right. and puff. Character is a difficult thing because I actually love acting characters. For Leporello, for example, I love that. But that's, Leporello is not a buffle character, really. They're, no. they're, he can be played really buffle, but he's something a bit more serious than that. Yes. And that's why I, I like, enjoyed doing it. Even though I hadn't done it for 10 years, it was John here who said, I think you should do Leporello. And in fact, I worked with uh, Ferruccio Fulinetto. Mm. And uh, I was saying, man, and he said, um, keep Leporello in your voice as long as you can. Before you start going down the dark, heavy route, yeah, it's a good advice. Uh, he said, "Keep, keep, keep, keep those rules. Keep the voice. Keep the voice moving around. Don't just get stuck into this." He said. And he was doing Figaro at fifty-three, <laughs> and I thought, oh, "Well, that's pretty good advice." So, and when then when I mentioned it to John, he said, "Well, why don't we do it here? Yeah, we don't want to come to Leporello. I thought, "Well, actually, that might be good." And a few people raised eyebrows. They suddenly thought, "Oh, you know, we well, bring it on." But actually, of course, in the end, it was. I loved it. Now, I've, the roles I've had the most fun with is what I can say, and I've fitted into really well. Uh, Rocco and Fidelio, I lo- just love the character yeah, dearly. And, uh, I did that at festival hard, there in yeah. yeah. 06 with Deborah's production. That was a landmark production for me, certainly in terms of acting, because Deborah was squeezed out of me, my, what I, and it was a landmark. I thought, actually, I enjoy this. I think I'm okay at this. And Terrible said, dilemma in that. Oh, part. that wonderful! Yes. And I, I, in fact, I did a concert performance just recently in Brighton um, and with the OE, and I hadn't done it for about four years, and I'd forgotten how much I love this piece. I've done a couple of Wagner projects, uh, the Pogner at Meissing uh, last year. Again, that was a new thing for me, and it was a bit of a risky one, but at the end, I loved it because it's lyrical. Yes. Speaking of Wagner, yeah. how far would you push the voice there? Well, I mean, I, I spoke to John Tom not yeah, so long ago, yeah. and um, you know, you can see the road he's gone down. Yeah. And and um, you know, not many basses really no. sing Wotan, for no. example. And I don't think I could um, because John, being John, and John has more strength. I mean, it's incredibly what John achieved with that because it was a huge risk for him. He admits that. He changed his life, but he had to shoehorn his voice into, into that role because he's so strong. He could pull that off. To have that kind of physical strength, you know, this uh, muscles here to do that was an extraordinary, and still is an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. I, maybe if I kicked into that and tried to do that 10, 15 years ago and sort of trying to develop that strength at the top, it might be a different story. But now 
I couldn't do it. I just don't have that kind of strength in that part of my voice to sustain that. Mm. And again, it's not just like standing up and doing it. It's six weeks rehearsal. Mm. It's pacing it. It's, it's a huge feat. But my the role that I would kill to do in, and probably might happen in 13, is to do Gornemans. That's my absolute... Again, because it's lyrical. It's yes. narrative and it's lyrical. I love narrative roles. You're telling us that. The P-Men here... You, you mentioned... Russian repertoire yeah. then. I mean, the Russians virtually invented the bass voice. Yeah. It's, yeah. <coughs> it's in their soul, their yes. musical yeah, soul, absolutely. isn't it? Interestingly enough, I don't know, have you had any conversations with, with Dimitri about the Russian repertoire? Yeah, I have. Because uh, he has a wonderful production of Boris, um, which he says he's not going to do anymore because twice is enough. When, what I discovered, particularly just doing Piman now with people from, from Marinsky and with Rostyazvensky, was... I found so much more about the music than I'd not. When we did it here, I mean, I loved doing it, and, and it was a big success to me and everything. But doing it in Russian with Russians brought a whole new dimension to the piece for me. And the language and why this role is so glorious, um, and the colours and telling the story was... And the, I understand when they literally translated, when I literally translated the Russian words, it means something completely different from what... Mm. There's something about being miserable I find very attractive. <laughs> um, Language-wise, <laughs> yeah. tough to learn. It took me five it's months. Particular sound, isn't it? It took me five months to learn Pimen. Yeah. I mean, there are 35 pages of Russian. And, and Russia since he said that there are 832 words for Pimen. And he said, uh, my first rehearsal, you did only four wrong. <laughs> and the Verdi rules vary enormously, even though he said, yes, Verdi, right, the Verdi bass... But they are all quite different in yes. Although he, his understanding of all voices oh, is second to none. Really. Absolutely. And he knows where the dramatic part of a voice is. He knows what's going to cut through, what isn't. Uh, oh, it's fantastic. So apart from Gurnemans, yeah. um, um, any other particular roles that you really have your heart set on that you haven't sung yet? I'd like a rerun at Fib. Because yeah. I did it in Opera North two years ago. I, I scraped through two performances, which were torture, because I, I, mean, I by the end of that one, pretty much I spent, well, there's, there's a long way to go. <laughs> and uh, and I, actually, I did two, and then I withdrew. So I, I want to do that again now, now that I'm well. Okay. Uh, Philip Fiesco, Gornemans, I want to do. There's plenty of roles I haven't done, but I'm, Fiesco was pretty much the one I've always wanted yeah. to do. I'd like to do Mephistopheles. I haven't done that yet, either in the Guno or in Berlin. So those things would be absolutely... I would love to do that, just because of that. I love the characters. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah. I've got a Claggett coming up in Glamborn in 13. Ah, that's rerun. Yeah. You see, which is, again, has been one I've always wanted to do. But in terms of, no, I'd like to do more Fiescos, and I'd like to do more Phillips, and I'd like to do definitely want to do Gornemans. This company, English mm. National Opera, is becoming more of a family again. Um, yeah, definitely. There are, there, are, there are singers that are now stretching mm. their muscles mm. in different roles and returning to the company. I, I, I love it. I mean, I'm very grateful to, you know, help put me on the map because, I mean, I suppose I've had really... And I've been doing this for 11 years, which if somebody who's 48 is not a long time. I'm about 10 to 15 years behind all of my contemporaries. And they gave me... I think I think the role first I did here was Zerastrachie, which is pretty good to come in on. And I think they started to sort of give me a little bit more here. And um, the atmosphere now, particularly since Ed has come, Yes. He because he is not only a great musician and a great conductor, he's a great worker of the orchestra. He knows individuals. He knows how to bring everybody together to make a great show. 
Yeah, he's very open. I love that about him um, when he talks about different directors' yeah. work. Yeah. Very open. Yeah. Also, there's one sense is that nurturing quality. And uh, and it's lovely now to see people who've been having you know, long international careers. You know, Anthony Michael's more. You got um, um, you know John coming back more now. But you know, people just saying, "I'd like to come back. I want to do this." And yes. it's a return. And it's such a treat for everybody. Yes. And I, I personally love this theatre. I think yes. it's just a very generous... For lower voices, Bob, Bob Lloyd would say the same. Well, look, coming back to, yeah. to Boca Negra, yes. <clears throat> I'm curious now, when you've talked about the update, yeah. about the politics of it, because it is quite a big part of the piece. But, I mean, is he downplaying the politics in favour of the personal relationships? Because it is that balance in Verdi about the private Definitely. and the public. Definitely. I would it? say, yes, it's about the relationships. Yeah, because plebeians, I yeah. mean, we don't... No, we don't. Really. And there are a few clunky bits in the text, and, and he's taken a few, which you'll discover, I'm going to talk about this, but he's taken a few risks with the plot of whether Maria, my wife, whether she has died or whether she took her own life, and there's some issues also at the end with Bocanegra and his death and also things which are <clears throat> unconventional. But it's only to provoke what he does. He'll get, take you to an extreme emotion, for example... In the prologue, in the aria, in the prologue, extreme anger, extreme blasphemy, to then create the reaction to that is so much more clearer to do. And he, but that's that's I'm using my arias a, a, to explain that. But in fact, he does that so often. Yes. So then the next bit is so easily and clear. He got a lot of flack in the Onyegin mm. for the the quite bold change he made to the dual scene. Yes. Um, yeah. Which didn't end up as a duel no, at all, no. but um, no. you know, fighting over the gun, the gun goes off. Yeah, um, um, so the, the principle was there that these two guys were, he wasn't not going to fight, they were going to fight. Yeah. Um, but actually, the death happened before yes. the fight. That's and, just, and, and it yeah. made sense because the rest of the opera, I mean, far be it from me to say that one should. Play, play with Pushkin or, or, mm. or, or, or that opera. But um, to me, it made um, Onyegin's, Onyegin's grief yeah. so much more palpable. Absolutely. And he will do that it because it provokes, it provokes a much stronger response. He uses that a lot. There are some things, I mean, I could say the, the duet with Adorno. He's taken a take on that, which, which when you think, what? At first... But it makes absolute sense in terms of what the kind of music with the um, you know, um, very quiet, very calm scene. Well, I'm I have some kind of hypnotic quality over Adorno, and we use that to sort of you will, of course, you are going to assassinate Bokai, and you he's very much my puppet that I'm controlling from a distance. But it's incredibly clear. The whole scene is done very. Carefully, whilst you're trying to sing these incredibly long, quiet lines, but it just works. It really holds a magic over the room, man. So, and when you get it with him, yes, do you know straight away he recognizes and says, yes. "Well, hold that, keep that." Yeah, more. but he does. But he's, he's so much of a perfectionist. There was a, so there's always more. You there's can always do. kind of it's coming, it's coming. You think, ah. well, it is coming very soon. So it is. Very thank soon. you. For sharing, um, I'm okay. even more intrigued now. Yeah. Oh no! I, this is going to ask great questions. questions. This piece. I've never seen anything like this.